0: There's an old story of a grandfather speaking with his grandson, and the grandfather says there are two dogs inside each one of us. These dogs are always battling each other. One is a good dog, which represents good things like kindness, bravery, joy, peace, love, all the life-giving traits. The other is a bad dog, which represents things like greed, hatred, fear, selfishness. Right there, the grandfather stops speaking. The grandson sits silently for a few moments, waiting for more, and finally he says, Grandpa, I don't get it. You never told me the end of the story. Which dog wins? And the grandfather quietly replies, the one you feed. Now, that story has been told for years in all kinds of versions. And some say it originated with Native Americans. I'm not exactly sure where it came from, but I do know that the story really resonates with people. All of us know this feeling, the feeling that there's some kind of tug of war going on inside of us. Because there's a part of us that really wants to do the right thing, but then there's another part that seems to prefer wrong thoughts and wrong actions. So, at least in some sense, the story of the two dogs matches our experience. We can agree there is a war that goes on inside of us. It's a battle between good and evil, between right and wrong. But think about the point of that story. The point is that you can guarantee which dog will win by feeding it. So, is that true? Is it as simple as that? And what would the Bible say about this? Well, that's exactly what we're going to look at today. We're currently in week three of our series called Overflow. And in case you haven't been here or you need a reminder, the goal of this series is real heart change that leads to real life change. Because we're not interested in coming to church and just talking about ideas, but never seeing positive change in our everyday lives. We want to make real progress toward becoming the people God created and called us to be. And from the beginning of this series, we said we'll never see real change by focusing on the outside. You can't become a different person just by trying to change your behavior remember what Jesus said about this? He said, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. So, whatever is in your heart is going to show up in your life sooner or later. So the question is, how how do you make sure that your heart is good and pure all of the time? Well, that's the problem. None of us has the power to do that. So that means the only way to live a changed life and become who you should be is to let God change your heart. Now, for me, this is an easy thing to say. I can say, I need to let God change my heart. See, I just said it. It's easy. It's also easy for me to believe that this is exactly what needs to happen. The difficult part is allowing God to change my heart. And do you know why that's difficult? It's because of the battle between those two dogs. This battle is not some imaginary thing. It's real. Scripture confirms it. In fact, that was the subject of Dylan's message last Sunday. Dylan talked about a war that takes place in the hearts and minds of everyone who's trying to follow Jesus. He he talked about the challenge of taking every thought and making it obedient to Christ. This battle is very real, even though the Bible never mentions the story of the two dogs. So then how does the Bible describe it? Well, for that, we're going to look at Galatians chapter 5. And in this chapter, the Apostle Paul is writing to a group of Christians, and Paul wants them to be aware of this internal spiritual struggle that that goes on within all of us. So let's pick it up in Galatians 5, verse 16, where Paul says, "'So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh.'" For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. I think that's really cool because that description is not very different than the story of the two dogs. In this passage, the good dog would be like the Spirit, and the bad dog would be the desires of the flesh. But what exactly does Paul mean by spirit and flesh? That's a very important question because it's easy to get confused here. So let's break this down a little bit. First, how should we define the word flesh? I mean, we understand that flesh is another word for body, but how do we interpret this? Is the the Bible saying that our bodies are evil? Actually, no, that's not what it's saying at all if you go back to the original Greek language, the word for flesh is the word sarx. And while the Greek word "sarks" can refer to the physical body, it often has a more specific meaning in the Bible. If you look at all the times in the New Testament when the word sarx is used, and that's more than 140 times, by the way, here's what you find. In the Bible, the word flesh often refers to disordered desires. Disordered desires. And here's where we don't want to get confused, because there have been some people over the centuries who did believe that our physical bodies are inherently evil. They would say, the soul is good and the body is bad. But hold on a second. Where did our bodies come from? God created our bodies, right? I didn't choose this. God is the one who connected my soul to this flesh. God is also the one who created our bodies to have certain appetites. And God is completely good. So it makes no sense to say that our bodies or our appetites are inherently evil. However, there is a part of my flesh that wants to pursue these appetites in a way that God never intended. That's when we get into trouble. Our God-given desires are not the problem. The problem is when our desires get disordered. Here's an example. Let's think about the desire for food. Is it wrong to be hungry? I sure hope not. Of course it's not. I'm going to switch over to a different microphone here. We know it's not wrong for our desire for food, to desire food. That's not wrong. But is it possible for you and me to have a harmful or even sinful relationship with food? Well, of course it is. And if we think about it, the the Bible gives quite a few examples where physical hunger becomes a disordered desire first time we see that is way back in the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. You remember that story? What was the one rule that God gave Adam and Eve? God said, you can eat from any tree you want in the garden, any tree except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from that tree. So literally, the only restriction that God gave them was to say no to a particular food. So how hard could that be? You and I know exactly how hard that can be, right? For the past week in our house, we've had cake in the fridge left over from my wife's birthday. And man, it's good cake. And several days this week, I've started out in the morning and I've thought to myself, I'm not going to eat any birthday cake today. I don't need that. I'm going to hold off. Then late in the evening... After the kids are in bed, and I've had a long day, you know what happens? That bad dog inside of me is like, let's go get some cake. (laughs) And in the case of Adam and Eve, was it wrong for them to be hungry for a piece of fruit? No. Having an appetite for food is, is not wrong in and of itself. It was the disordered desire to crave the specific fruit that God said was off limits. That was a desire of the flesh. And when Adam and Eve gave in, they caused all kinds of problems that they never anticipated. And that's how the flesh works. The flesh will lead you to destruction. Over in Romans chapter 8, Paul's writing on this same subject, and he says, The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. So the stakes are high here. We don't want to let the flesh have control of our lives because it will literally be the death of us. But we have to face some tough news. Because of our humanness, because of our weakness, we don't have the strength to win every single battle against our disordered desires. That's why Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit. That's why I ate the piece of cake. Several pieces, actually, but we won't talk about that. The truth is, there is only one person who has walked this earth and never given in to disordered desires. And that is Jesus Christ. You can see that in one of the earliest stories we have of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is out in the wilderness. And he's tempted by the devil. And do you remember the first temptation that Jesus faced? Let's read that real quick. Matthew chapter 4, starting with verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I would say so. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So we've talked about this, right? Was it wrong for Jesus to be hungry? Of course not. But for some reason, God made it clear that Jesus was not supposed to work this particular miracle. In this case, Jesus was called to to resist a desire of the flesh. And how did he respond? Well, Look at verse 4. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So he didn't perform that miracle. Jesus continued his fast. And there's a lot we could talk about here, but I want us to notice just one thing. Does this story sound familiar? It's kind of interesting. Matthew chapter 4 has a lot in common with that story back in Genesis, doesn't it? In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were tempted by the devil to eat a certain food. In Matthew 4, Jesus is tempted by the devil to eat a certain food. Similar story, but very different result, right? Because Adam and Eve gave in to that desire of the flesh, and the bad dog won. But with Jesus, he resisted the temptation, not only on this occasion, but in his entire life. He never gave in to temptation. So, what are we to learn here? Is it just that Jesus left us a perfect example to follow? Is it just that Jesus set the bar really, really high, and now it's up to us to try to reach that standard? If so, that's pretty overwhelming, isn't it? Because we have so many different desires that can become disordered. We've mentioned the desire for food, but there's also the desire for pleasure and comfort. There's the desire for sex. There's the desire for significance, the desire to be loved and accepted. And none of those longings are bad in and of themselves. But there are so many times when we're tempted to pursue good desires in bad ways. As we read on in Galatians 5, the Apostle Paul gets specific about this. He tells us what it looks like when good desires go bad. Galatians five nineteen, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a problematic list right there. And at least a few of the behaviors on that list are especially appealing to the bad dog inside of you. Of course, some of those things may not tempt you at all. Because we're all different, we're all unique, but we're the same in that we all have our weaknesses. You may find your number one temptation in the first category on that list, the sexual sins of immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Those words include any form of sex outside of marriage. But maybe that's not you. Maybe your temptation is in the second category, which you might call religious sins, like idolatry. And you may say... I have no interest in bowing down to a golden statue. That may be true. However, you might be very tempted to make an idol out of something or someone in your life. Because an idol is anything that you love or value above God. That could be your job or career. It could be your favorite pastime. It could be a significant person in your life. Idolatry could be your weakness. Then there's the third category in Paul's list, the social sins. Hatred, jealousy, discord, dissension, factions, envy. These are the things you get when you're willing to mistreat others for your own personal gain. Finally, there's the category of sins on this list that include drinking and partying, things like drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I don't know what your weakness is exactly, but I know it's somewhere on this list. And I'm guessing you already know what I'm about to tell you, but I'm going to say it anyway. If you fight the bad dog in your area of weakness, just using your own willpower, you will fail. Guaranteed. You may win a few battles here and there, but there will be failures. It's true that Jesus left us this perfect example, but no human being is able to live up to that example. The bad dog within us is just too strong. But do you remember what we read earlier? We, we did find hope here in Galatians 5. Did you catch that? Back in verse 16, Paul said, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and what? You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So now, it's high time we talk about the spirit. And again, we need to be clear on the definition here. In the New Testament, the word spirit is translated from the Greek word pneuma. And you should know that there are occasions when the word spirit is basically interchangeable with the human soul. If you go to the book of James, he makes the statement that the body without the spirit is dead. So James right there is just talking about the human soul. However, that's not the case in Galatians 5. In Galatians 5, the word spirit refers to God's Holy Spirit, specifically. Now, I mentioned a couple weeks ago that there's a lot of confusion about the Holy Spirit. And I'll admit, this concept is a little mysterious. We can picture God the Father, the one who created the universe. And we can picture Jesus the Son who walked this earth. But who is the Holy Spirit, and how is he different than the Father and the Son? Well, we don't have time to go into this in depth, but I will give you a brief description. And the simplest way I have to explain it is this. The Holy Spirit is God here, here in this world. Now, I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit is only here on earth. I'm just saying when God does something in our world today, he works through his Spirit. And when God does something in your heart, he works through his spirit. And when someone begins a relationship with Jesus, an amazing thing happens. When you begin a new life in Christ, God makes his home inside of you. God puts his spirit inside of you. And that's really exciting because God wants to transform your mind and your heart and your life. And he'll do that by his spirit working in you. The Holy Spirit is the one who enables you to love God and love others more fully. The Holy Spirit is the one who enables you to be more like Jesus. And that's very good news because God's Holy Spirit is infinitely more powerful than the bad dog inside of you. By ourselves, we don't have what it takes to overcome the bad dog. But when we're talking about God's Holy Spirit, there's really no contest. And that's why Paul says, when you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. From the Spirit, we get conviction and guidance and power. So if you belong to Jesus, it's time for that old, wimpy, good dog called Willpower to tag out. Because this new dog with supernatural strength has come in to fight on your behalf. And that's how you win the battle. Now back in Galatians chapter 5, Paul gets specific once again. And he tells us exactly what to expect when the Spirit takes charge in our lives. Immediately after that terrible list of acts of the flesh, Paul says this, starting in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Peace, forbearance, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So that's a great list, isn't it? Can you imagine if people described you by all the words on that list? How cool would that be? I I would love it if if people said, you know, if I had to describe Doug, I would say that he is just full of love for everyone all the time. And he's always joyful, too, even on a bad day. And and when things get tough or scary, nothing seems to bring him down. He, He always has this peace no matter what. I could go on through the list, but I won't. Because the truth is, I don't match that description. The fruit of the Spirit has not fully taken hold in my life. Now, God has a plan for that to happen, and I sincerely want that to happen. But I'm not there yet. The battle still goes on inside of me. And the great thing is, if you have received the gift of grace, the gift of salvation that only comes through Jesus... You don't earn God's approval based on your performance in these battles. The war has already been won. Jesus did that for you. So even though you don't win every battle against sin, his grace still covers you. But listen, God has no intention of just watching us hobble through this life with no victory over sin, with no progress against the desires of the flesh. His plan is that you and I will be transformed, that that he will renew your mind and renew your heart. He'll trade your old desires for new desires, and you won't be driven by short-term pleasure or self-gratification anymore. You'll be driven by a desire to please God and bring him glory in everything that you do. God's plan for your life is completely amazing. He wants to change your life, and he has the power to do it. But now we've come full circle. We're we're back to that question I was asking in the beginning. Because I can say, yes, I need to let God change my heart. And I can believe that the Holy Spirit has the power to make it happen. But how do I get out of the way and allow God to do this work in me? Well, going back to the story of the two dogs, what did the grandfather say? He said, the dog that wins is the one you feed. It's a simple idea, but does that apply to the scenario that we're talking about today? In a word, yes. In the context of following Jesus, feeding the good dog means welcoming the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit into your life. We do that by making a habit of those spiritual disciplines we talked about a few months ago. Things like prayer, scripture reading, worship, and, and so on. God will use those habits to rewire your mind. The Holy Spirit will break old thought patterns and establish new patterns. We see a perfect example of this over in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, where Paul says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Put your focus there. So now it's time to get very real and very practical. It's time to think about which dog we're feeding. Which voices are we listening to? Which messages are getting through? In order to develop new thought patterns, we have to give the Holy Spirit something to work with. And when we consistently take God's word into our minds, we're choosing to meditate on what is true and noble and right and pure. In other words, we're feeding the good dog. But the opposite is also true. When we take in messages that are directly opposed to God's word, We're feeding the very part of us that God is trying to kill off. So we have to be very careful about what we listen to, what we watch, what we put into our minds and into our hearts. Now, before you jump to any conclusions here, I'm not going to turn this sermon into some legalistic exercise where I will tell you exactly what movies you can and can't watch. I'm not going to tell you exactly what music you can and can't listen to. I'm not even going to tell you which friends you can and can't hang out with. But I will tell you this, the messages that enter your mind and your heart will have a major effect on you. I remember when I used to work with high school students, whenever we talked about this kind of thing, there was always somebody who would say, Psh. I can watch whatever I want to. I can listen to whatever I want to, and it won't have any effect on me. Whenever I hear that, I always remember this huge industry that exists in our world. It's called advertising. The advertising industry knows that our minds are affected by the messages that we take in. And if they can change our minds, they'll change our behavior. That's why... $190 billion will be spent on advertising this year alone in the United States. They spend that money because it works. There is no question that we are affected by the messages that we take in. So with all that in mind, I want to close this morning with a challenge. I got the idea for this challenge from a doctor visit I had earlier this year. My doctor told me to keep a food diary where I tracked everything I ate or drank for one week. And doing that revealed some things that surprised me. For example, uh, my sugar intake was higher than I felt like it was. Uh, That may be no surprise to you after my cake story. But anyway, I got to thinking, what if I kept a different kind of diary? A diary of everything I take into my mind and my heart. What would I find? Would I find that my focus is on whatever is true and noble and right and pure? Am I feeding the good dog? I may feel like I am, but what is the reality? I believe it could be very helpful to get an accurate picture of how we're doing in this area. So here's what I came up with. I'm challenging everyone here this morning, including myself, to spend one week keeping a Feed the Good Dog diary. You have a sample of what this could look like in your bulletin. And let's take a second to go through that. Now, this sample uses the format of a chart, uh, but you can track this however you want. You can write it in a journal. You can enter it into your phone, whatever works for you. The main thing is that you track any activity where your mind is taking in messages. So that includes any form of media, whatever you watch, what you listen to, what you read. This could also include conversations that you have. You just record each specific activity along with how much time you spend on it. And in our sample diary here, the first activity on the list is reading the Bible, reading a devotion on the YouVersion app. And uh, then look at that column at the end. That's where you uh, try to evaluate whether the influence is positive or negative. And it's safe to say that reading the Bible is a positive influence. But then the second activity here is just scrolling through Facebook for 15 minutes. So what kind of influence is that? Well, depending on who your friends are and depending on what they're posting... It could be positive or negative or some mixture of the two. And to help you decide, you may need to go back and look at those lists in Galatians 5. Ask yourself, did my time on Facebook lead me to the fruit of the Spirit, to have more love and joy and peace? Or did those 15 minutes bring up feelings of jealousy or dissension or even rage? Which dog was I feeding there? The next activity on the list is watching a stand-up comedian on Netflix. And I marked this activity as a negative influence, but I'm not saying that all comedians would would have a negative spiritual influence on us. Of course not. But if we're being honest, a lot of them would be negative, right? And it's not just comedians, I'm not picking on them. A lot of movies, a lot of TV shows. They would lead us to laugh at or be entertained by the very things that break God's heart. Quite often, we're not even asking if it's a good idea to take these things into our minds and our hearts. So how about we start thinking about it? That's what this challenge is about. It's just for one week. I'm not going to look over your shoulder. I'm not going to grade this. I realize not everyone here will do it, but some of you will. Some of you know it's time to be intentional here. And just by being at church today, you're off to a great start. So you could start right now. Your first entry could be 70 minutes of positive influence. Because while we've been here, we've made it a priority to think on the things of Christ, to welcome the Holy Spirit into our lives. The question is, where will we go from here? One week from now, when we add up the totals, what will the balance look like? You know, it's impossible to avoid every negative influence in your life. Uh, To do that, you'd have to leave this world. But it is possible to make sure that the positive influence outweighs the negative. Remember what that grandfather said. The dog that wins is the one you feed. So the challenge for us today is feed the good dog. Imagine what would happen if we all became very intentional about this. Think about it. What will happen if we allow God's word to take hold of our minds and our hearts and and we start to drown out the negative influences that surround us? What will happen when we turn down the voices that stir up the disordered desires of the flesh and we turn up the voice of the Holy Spirit? I can tell you what will happen. We will become different people. We'll have purpose and power and peace like never before. We'll see the fruit of the Spirit show up like never before we'll see real heart change that leads to real life change. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are uh, more dependent on you than we would like to admit, than we uh, usually think about. or we, we can't reach that perfect standard of goodness that, that Jesus has set before us. We can't earn our own salvation or forgiveness. We can't earn eternal life. So we are dependent on you for that. But we also depend on you for this spiritual growth to become the people you want us to be, the the people we're created to be. So Lord, help us to be aware of this internal spiritual struggle and And remind us of our need to allow you to work in our hearts, to rewire our thinking, to make us new, so that the overflow from our hearts matches up with the fruit of the Spirit. Lord, I pray that we will more and more become that kind of people. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.